Hello, I hope that you are well. Um, I hope that you've had a good week. Um, I wanted to um, start off this episode today and get straight into um, a topic that, you know, we'll all be aware of and isn't particularly um, positive and happy to talk about, but the situation in um, Afghanistan. So, one, I wanted just to make you aware of how you can help and donate um, if you if you want and if you feel that's something that you um, want to do or would like to do. So you can access the UNICEF um, website, unicef.org.uk. I will put that in the show notes at the end of the episode and you can donate um, either. You can set up something to donate monthly. You can do a single donation if you wish of any um, amount that you want and it gives you information about the amount of money that you donate and what that would actually provide. So, for example, you can donate a certain amount of money and you know that that will provide one family with water and um, hygiene essentials. Um, And the UNICEF website at the moment um, is particularly, you know, wanting people to donate to protect the children of um, Afghanistan. So I will put that in the show notes at the end of the episode, like um, I said. But one thing I wanted to just um, talk about as well and bring to your attention is obviously, we you know, the kind of the injustices that are going on there at the moment and particularly um, the concerns people have about how the new um, religious law will affect women and the concerns that it will impact them being able to go to work, go to school, um, and that their, um, their dress has also now been changed and, you know, enforced kind of how they're meant to, to look um, and even leave the house socially with men. But um, I've been reading around the impact of um, the Taliban on the LGP, LGBT community in Afghanistan. Um, and there's an article in The Independent released this week um, by Patrick Strudwick. Um, and there was, and he quotes an interview with Gul Rahim, so who, who is a Taliban judge. And he was quoted as telling a newspaper that um, in Afghanistan, there were only two penalties for gays. This is a quote from him. There were only two penalties for gays, either stoning or he has to stand behind a wall that falls on him. The wall must be 2.5 to 3 metres high, and that practice is known as wall toppling. Um, And then um, an Afghan who has come out publicly as gay, one of the first people to do this, um, Nemat Sadat, um, has said that it isn't hyperbole to say that the Taliban will do to homosexuals what the Nazis did to them. They will weed them out and exterminate them from Afghan society. Please help us. Um, and then the article in The Independent goes on to talk about how over the last 20 years there have been, um, you know, incidents of where LGBT people have been beaten, tortured, evicted from homes, fired from jobs, if, you know, bosses have found out that they're gay. And there have been honour killings from family members. And they faced even rape at hands of police. And in the article, it mentions a young girl who didn't know that the words gay or lesbian existed because the only thing that she knew 
to describe someone who was gay or lesbian was the phrase demon possessed, which gives you an idea of how the LGBT community are, are viewed over there. Um, and if that's how they're viewed and treated by the Taliban, you know, the the idea that they've now got control of the area is really quite frightening. Um, there is an article on the BBC website as well, um, which is called LGBT in Afghanistan. Um, I could be killed on the spot. And it's an interview with a, with a man who says, you know, he, he quote from him that he worries that he would be killed on the spot if the wrong person found out his, his homosexuality because it is prohibited, it is punishable by death under law and um he says it's you know it's like being living in um like a apocalyptic almost dystopian movie where he knows that he could be killed just for his sexuality um and in the article he says civilians are being killed i don't think that i will ever be able to speak freely in front of anybody as a gay person in afghanistan you cannot reveal yourself even to your family or your friends and if i reveal myself to family they may beat me they may kill me or they may be in danger themselves for knowing the truth so it's a real issue um and obviously there you know there are lots of issues for um, all the you know innocent people over there in Afghanistan at the moment, and you know, like I said, you can donate. Um, but the 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 treatment of LGBT over there is particularly troubling. Um, and worrying, as I think that that's again you know a group that will be forgotten in this situation. Understandably, you know women need to be supported. Women, um, children, and families getting out, but this kind of forgotten minority that. I think will and have the violence done to them has slipped under the radar, it will continue to do so. So if I could encourage you just to keep that in, you know, your mind when you're reading around in the news, search out articles, look for things to read about, look for articles like the ones I've read on the independent website and BBC and just educate yourself around those issues. Um, Kind of moving on from that in a in a kind of linked sidestep, but also looking at the issue last week of censorship too. Um, I had an email this week from a listener who um, has been struggling with their appearance and their weight gain. And so I thought that I would do an episode around weight and particularly looking at phrases like body positivity. And rather than looking at positivity, thinking about body neutrality instead and how I've mentioned this before, phrases like good vibes only are actually quite um, problematic because if you aren't feeling positive all the time, you aren't positive about your body all the time, then, then you know, you, that almost makes you feel wrong in a way. Whereas if you just strive for body neutrality, um, where you just kind of strive to be okay with yourself some days and you know that some days you won't be then that's a much healthier and more um likely accessible place to get to so i'm going to read the letter from the person we emailed in first and then i will um not kind of directly answer their email but through the course of of the rest of the episode hopefully it will help with the issue if that makes sense so um obviously i won't read the person's name out 
but they say it's quite a long email, so I'll just read part of it. So they say, um, I've been struggling with my weight most of my life and have felt like I've been overweight uh, most of my life. I lost a lot of weight in 2019, but in 2020, I became depressed and put it all back on again. And an extra stone and a half over than that, just for good measure. I've tried to start losing weight over the last couple of months, but I've become stuck and I constantly bounce up and down between a stone. I have been unable to keep to and stick to a diet. I've tried various diets, exercise classes, keeping food diaries and all sorts of things. The second that I am not actively trying to stick to a diet, I gain a lot of weight very quickly. I don't trust myself to eat healthily. Um, I'm sad and stressed and bored of dieting, but also bored of not liking how I look. I honestly don't know what's best to do at this point. I just want to be healthy inside and out and have a positive relationship to food and my body. So that email and the, the last section there, the positive relationship, made me think back to this idea of body positivity and how really body neutrality is something that we should strive for. Instead, I've spoken before on here about issues that I've had with weight, my issues with um, bulimia and anorexia and things in the past and how it's not something that I think you can ever um, be truly comfortable with but you can um, make peace with it and you can try to become more comfortable with your appearance um, and it's you know it's a journey it's it's on a spectrum like anything else and there'll be some days where you may wake up and think, you know, you feel all right, you're quite happy with yourself today, and there'll be some days when you won't. Um, and, you know, there the, are the certainly days when I feel that way, and there can be triggers for that, whether it's a certain time of year, when it's warm, and you know you're going to have to kind of show more of your flesh and your body off, when, um, you know, you've maybe just eaten something the night before and you kind of wake up feeling a bit bloated, all those things can can set you off and affect you. So body neutrality is something that um, I've been reading about um, and is something that is mentioned quite frequently on Jamila Jamil's um, podcast and her work with I Weigh and how neutrality is something that's more accessible and something that is more healthy to try and achieve. Now, another thing that made me fo- want to focus on this idea of body image this week is, I don't know if you've heard um, in the news about the reaction to Lizzo and her latest song and her video. Now Lizzo is um, you know, an actress and a singer-songwriter and a performer and she's quite often in the news um, unnecessarily because of her appearance and her weight and she's had to face a lot of um, criticism and fat shaming over you know, the years of her career. And this week, I think it was last week when her new um, video premiered, uh, premiered for the song Rumours, there was, you know, instant fat shaming that, you know, she was too big and encouraging people to not lose weight and that it was okay to be that size and blah, blah, blah. And obviously just, you can imagine the horrendous things. And then the racism that's on top of that as well, um, with her being black, the fact that she's a black woman um, who's fat, and a woman as well, so she's dealing with the, um, you know, the the misogyny from that too. So, um, she released um a statement online where she kind of tackled some of the things people were saying, and in the video she's quite clearly upset as well. So I'll just play you um her post that she put on. I think it was TikTok earlier on in the week. 
So we'll just let you hear a little bit of it. Telling everyone now, like anyone who has like internal issues or has like any type of self problems that they need to work out, work out now because money, fame or success or even getting older doesn't really fix that. Shit. You need to just like do it, do the inner work, do the inner work, because no matter where you are, it's always going to haunt you like a f-ing ghost. And I'm working on it, too. But today is just not a good day. And I just want everybody to know that it's OK to not have a good day, even when it seems like you should. Thank you. So, I mean, you can hear she's quite clearly upset there with reacting to what people have said about her. But the ironic thing is, and this is something that a lot of people on social media picked up, is that the song is talking about that she's fed up of people basically slagging her off for her size and things. And one of the lines in the song says, um, you spend all of your time trying to break a woman down. There's realist stuff going on. Take a look around. And then the irony is that then um, people ignore that, ignore the more important things going on in the world, like a pandemic, like the, um, you know, massacres taking place in Afghanistan and just immediately um, criticise this woman instead um, and completely miss, you know, the message of what it is that, that, that the song was trying to say. So I thought I would look at some information around um, weight and how um, particularly people who are deemed overweight um, the reasons for it and some data and information around that in the UK but also in America and then use that information to again continue this discussion of um, how people can hopefully um, more positively look at their their body but also see that it's something that affects you know, pretty much everybody at some part in their life will have um, a negative relationship with their body. And it is something that, you know, continues throughout our, throughout our lives, more so for some people than others. Now, um, the University of Glasgow did a study um, a couple of years ago, and they found that um, in the UK, approximately 25% of the population is classified as obese. And that. Uh, particularly the women from lower social economic groups are at a greater risk of becoming obese than any other group. Um, and if we think about that for a moment, so the kind of economic reasons for weight gain, I don't think it would be um, a surprise to anybody the idea that um, people who are poorer and people who are closer to um, living in poverty or the breadline, um, the food that they have access to is obviously cheaper. And if you look in a supermarket, the food that is cheaper is often the food that is um, more processed, is less healthy and less fresh, potentially, in terms of vegetables and things like that. So in terms of the money that um, people have to spend on food, it, you know, nine times out of 10 is on something that is less healthy um, and more processed. So, you know, if you think about in a supermarket, you know, for the cost of um, you know, like a, a Waitrose whole chicken, obviously all the supermarkets available, you can get, you know, five, six, seven packs of frozen um, you know, potato chips or whatever. So, you know, which was going to feed you longer, which is going to last longer, which is going to feed the children longer. So in terms of economic impacts, 
it has a huge correlation between money, class and weight. That's something that can't be, um, you know, that can't be denied, that can't be forgotten. Um, and then if you think also about those processed foods, they're the foods that don't fill you up either. So, you know, bags of crisps, McDonald's, um, Pringles, that type of thing. They're kind of quick fixes, but you can eat more of it because it doesn't fill you up. Whereas foods like salads that are kind of full of lots of water in them as well, they fill you up a lot quicker. So you do actually stop eating that. Whereas foods that are, you know, again, to use the word processed, you eat more of that because it doesn't fill you up. So therefore you're stuck in that cycle of only being able to afford that unhealthy food that doesn't fill you up and then you eat more of what you have. So it's a it's an issue that I think a lot of people don't consider that um, access to food in terms of the money you have has a direct impact on then your your weight. Um, and some people can be quite snobby around a person's appearance and link fat to, um, you know, laziness and that they, you know, think about the, the kind of the government phrase a couple of years ago of, you know, eat less, move more to try and get the obesity rates down is not as easy as that and um, there are you know bigger issues there um even just the the focus on using bmi as a scale as well so you know the bmi is very um narrow in terms of its you know representation of um body weight and body health you know you you're in this section if you go over this line you're now obese if you just get beyond this line you're now morbidly obese um you know and you can kind of flitter in weight overnight if you've had something that's particularly bloating or heavy or you know you've retained water or whatever and the bmi doesn't take into account um your weight um, and then health so for example, you know, someone that is larger can be healthier. It just is, it's this kind of narrow minded assumption that um, fat is unhealthy and thin is healthy. And that's something that, you know, is kind of time and time again, pushed forward and portrayed in the media as well. Um, and there's a big pushback at the moment against BMI being a sole factor for um, you know, the, the presentation of, of weight and whether or not you're healthy. And that is something that, you know, I think would be important to read around. Um, what is interesting is the, um, the current, with the, the pandemic that's happened, where a lot of people have, um, you know, gained weight is not being able to go to the gym not being able to exercise, uh, maybe not had access to the same food and things that they would normally. Um, in America, there's um, a phrase that's recently come up, and this was um, on The Guardian online, and it's an article called Food Apartheid, the root of the problem with America's groceries. And it says that in America, there are um, there is a food apartheid and that there are something called food deserts, where uh, in certain parts of America they are empty, they are kind of desert areas where they are empty of 
quality food and fresh food. And that unsurprisingly, these food deserts are in the poorer parts of America. And again, un, un, unexpected and expectedly, um, they are where there is a, a higher rate of people of colour as well. So in the article, it says how one third of American adults are obese, but then in the African-American community, that goes up to 48%. Um, but then, you know, other things, when you read into it, other things affect it. So you know, if in the poorer areas of America, there are these food deserts where there's not access to quality food, then the food that people are able to have is not going to be, you know, as good for them. So therefore they will gain weight. And then one thing I didn't know is that farm subsidies, which the United States um, government put money into during the pandemic, um, more white farmers got farm subsidies for their businesses than black farmers did. Um, and a number of black farmers have put together a class action to sue the US government um, for the kind of the, the, the economic racism that they're calling it. Um, and so the connection between poverty, race and weight, the more you read into it, the clearer it becomes. And again, you know, it, it then goes back to this idea that um, weight is not something that can be viewed as just something that um, means someone's lazy. It can be linked to all sorts of things, you know, economic, race, gender. And let's also, you know, not forget that weight can have a, um, uh, a genetic impact as well. You know, what your family's um, health history has been like, um, if you have um, a particularly, you know, fast or high or low um, metabolism. Now, um, a diet at the moment, which is becoming quite popular, if you are old like I am and you remember the Atkins diet, there is a diet at the moment called the keto diet, which um, is where you essentially cut out carbohydrates and you eat a lot of meat. Um, and some people have um, kind of supported this because it supposedly the keto diet helps people who um, suffer from epilepsy. Um, however, you know, it's, it's a very sudden weight loss because you are kind of dramatically cutting out key things from your diet, like carbohydrates, for example. And this is just one of recent um, weight loss um, techniques and products that have been around on the market. So, you know, on, um, you know, online that you can access all sorts of shakes and pills. There um, has recently been a huge outcry around um, teeth clamps and braces. So you can buy a set of braces that you attach from your bottom tooth to your top tooth. And so it kind of shuts, I'm kind of, as I'm talking, I'm kind of putting my teeth in my mouth. Uh, imagine I've got it on. Um, and so you, it kind of wires your mouth shut so you can't open your mouth wide enough to um, kind of swallow anything more than a drink, which is obviously bonkers. But these are the type of things that people are having access to um, and can buy online. And then, you know, the diet industry is profiting off 
getting into people's insecurities like the person who wrote to me um, who is insecure about their weight and these products that are online tap into that very unfairly. So going back to the keto diet for a moment, some um, dangers of it um, when uh, people have, have looked into the diet, there are quite a few, like any diet. So one is the keto flu, it's called, which um, is when people who've been doing the diet for a while get headaches, they have a brain fog, so sometimes can feel quite confused and tired and kind of get their words mixed up. Um, another one is bad breath. Um, so um, again, because of what you're eating, it, it impacts your um, breath and even the smell of your urine as well. Um, digestive problems because you're not having enough fiber in your diet, which then affects you going to the toilet as well. Some people have repeated, uh, have reported cramps in their legs and their muscles again because um, you're not getting things like potassium um, and magnesium in your diet. Um, low blood sugar, which um, is a side effect of not having enough carbohydrates because carbohydrates include glucose, um, which um, you know is, is um, impacts your your blood sugar level and again that will then lead to you know being very tired and having less energy as well um, some people have reported things like insomnia not being able to fall asleep um, kidney stones hair loss um, a rash on your skin as well um, again just because of you know this kind of very drastic reduction of things that you are and aren't eating so any type of diet um when it's done so quickly and kind of rashly like the keto diet is they always have side effects and again you know this idea of body positivity instead looking at body neutrality is rather than going on a crash diet um maybe just um adapting your diet so having a little bit less of this a little bit more of that um doing a bit more of this one day a bit less of that one day rather than a sudden change which is what a lot of these weight loss products sell to you you can do this and you can smash six stone off in a week um, and it's very sudden and kind of sudden changes that that are are really dangerous but these things unfortunately are pushed upon us in the media quite um, prevalently as well. So um, I'm not sure if you were aware of um, the Khloe Kardashian photograph that appeared um, or kind of was taken down rather than appeared online maybe about a month ago, something like that. So obviously the Kardashians are quite you know prevalently known for their appearance and how they look and that's almost like a product that they sell as their appearance and their beauty line. And Khloe Kardashian, a photograph of her, I believe was taken by her gran and was then put up online by an assistant, um, which was completely unfiltered and just showed her as she, you know, normally is. Um, she um, immediately, when she found out it was online, wanted it removed. And there were like cease and desist orders put out on websites that were um, putting up online. Um, people were, were receiving emails with kind of um, threats of litigation if they used their photograph. And they essentially tried to, her team, 
try to remove it from the internet. Now, obviously, one that started, you know, people just wanting to look at it, um, the more that people heard about it. So it's something called the Streisand effect. So basically, if you're not aware of that is Barbara Streisand, um, a photograph of her home appeared, I think it was in a newspaper a number of years ago. Um, and she um, kind of, she contacted the newspaper, the website, whatever, and said that she wanted it taken down because she didn't want people to know where she lived fine but then that got out into the press so then of course people just looked at the photograph and found out where she lived whereas if she maybe not mentioned it people would have just thought oh that's a nice house and cracked on but because she made an issue out of it it meant more and more people saw the photo so this happened to Khloe Kardashian and I think if she'd have just um allowed the photo to stay a, I think it probably would have got a lot of positive press of finding like a real life photograph of her where she looked absolutely fine, not overweight, not out of um, shape, anything like that. It might maybe would have made her look a little bit more approachable, um, a little bit more, you know, kind of, for want of a better word, human, more normal. Um, and it probably would have done her a lot of good in terms of, you know, rejecting this um, you know, perfect positive image that um, they always claim to have. But I think the other thing is that it's worth talking about is that when the photograph was taken down, she then released a statement how she didn't want the photograph being out there because she felt the pressure to um, kind of uphold this um, appearance that the public, um, she said, make her feel that she has to uphold. Um, and there's a couple of things there. One, the irony that um, she feels the pressure from the public to look a certain way when we could argue that her and her family have created that standard and that pressure for the public as well, vice versa, maybe. But also the idea that by taking the photograph down, it's almost saying that the criticism she got about looking a certain way made her change her body through diet, through plastic surgery, through whatever. And therefore, the people who bullied her are right because how she used to look, which this photograph showed supposedly, is so horrendous, it can't be on the internet. So therefore, the people who told her how she originally looked was wrong are right because she only now wants this kind of photoshop version of herself to be allowed and there's lots of things there that again just go to show how deeply entrenched um appearance and body shaming and fat shaming is in the media and so much so that we kind of almost don't um think about it sometimes but it also doesn't just affect women, don't forget. Um, you know, in, in the United States alone, for example, um, according to nationaleatingdisorders.org, 10 million men in the United States will at some point struggle with their weight, whether that be through binging, purging, um, fasting for weight loss, etc. Um, and that the increase of men um 
having eating disorders it is on the rise i've spoken about this before and particularly with men um an increase in body and muscle dysfor dysphoria so that they um you know they think they look differently than how they do and if we you know i've mentioned this before the kind of instagram the perfect instagrammable body which i think is something that men particularly are prone to in the current culture um and with influences and all that bollocks um then you know the, the pressure on men is greater i think than it has ever been it's always been there for women you know from you know, social media in the 80s and the 90s and the stick thin, almost kind of ill looking catwalk models of, of Kate Moss and Victoria Beckham when she was at her thinnest. Um, you know, think back to Kalista Flockhart and Alan McBeal and how thin she was and the pressure on women has been around for a lot longer. But it is something that's affecting men now more than it has done in the past. And I think social media has a big part to play in that. But I also think the reaction to men is quite interesting. So um, uh, Chris Pratt comes to mind. So if you've seen Parks and Recreation, Chris Pratt um, plays Andy um, and he's, you know, part of the, the kind of comedy around his character is that, you know, he's quite um, kind of simple and a bit thick and very lovable. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's a larger man. He's what you would call, um, I wouldn't say obese, but, you know, he's he's fat. He's got a few extra pounds on him compared to kind of what the, the Hollywood norm is, I suppose. And when he left television and went into Hollywood and has been in, you know, Jurassic World and Passengers and so on, the focus on his bodily transformation was huge. You know, now he's the action star and he's ripped in a six pack or whatever. And it was the onslaught of positive comments about his change and he's now you know on the cover of men's health and you know he's um, kind of lauded to being a sex symbol well all that then shows is that how he looked previously was wrong and was undesirable um and don't get me wrong you know the the kind of the positive support for the change in his appearance. I don't think actively um, from people was actively saying, oh, how he used to look was gross. But that's the that's the messaging that comes through because when he was on Parks and Recreation, he wasn't on the cover of Men's Health. You know, he wasn't like pin-up of the week in Heat magazine. But he was as soon as he, you know, transformed into this Hollywood elite figure. And so, you know, when we look at how um lauded people are for a change in their appearance again i don't think it's a surprise that people then develop this very negative relationship with their body um and the phrase body positivity to come back to that um has unfortunately over the years been jumped on by um so-called influencers so you know you'll have a um you know a, a model stereotypical model take a photo of themselves on the beach body positivity well of course you're going to be positive about your body because you know you're modeling for whatever company and so it was kind of hijacked by um the people it wasn't originally intended for and that's why i think the term body neutrality now is maybe um the way to go 
So if you want to um, read into these issues a bit more, I would look at reading around BMI and why it is not the best way to um, judge your weight, your health at all. Um, it's very um, white in terms of its scientific focus. It's very male. It's very patriarchal in terms of its history of its uses as well. It doesn't take in consideration um, race, um, economic background. It doesn't take into consideration really women and their physical difference to men. So I'd read around BMI and why that's really bollocks as, as a way of something to scale um, someone's weight and health. Um, and as always, I would um, suggest you follow certain Instagram accounts like I Weigh, like Diversify Your Narrative, like Why Don't We Discuss, because they quite often um, try to educate people on particularly um, fat phobia and fat shaming and why um, body neutrality is the more healthy way to go. So um, I always finish um, a, an episode by looking at something I've done one time that week. So it was my birthday this week. So thank you um, to anyone who sent me a card. If you didn't, thanks for nothing. Um, and I uh, had my family around and it was nice. It's the first time since the since the pandemic started nearly 18 months ago now that I was able to have the full family around and, you know, we had food and we played games and it was lovely. So that was really nice to do that. That felt more like normal and um, like a positive step forward. Um, and again, just to go back to the start of the episode, um, please read around the situation in Afghanistan. I'm sure you you can't really ignore it, but particularly the minorities there that are being affected by this and the really severe changing rules. Um, and please, if you can, support and donate. The link to UNICEF will be in the show notes. And um, I also hope that the letter that I read out, even though I haven't answered it directly, some of the things I've spoken about will um, give you just something to think about in terms of how to view um, body and weight and weight loss and exercise and how there's a bigger picture there. There's more important things going on than um, worrying constantly about your appearance. I know it's hard, particularly when it's kind of thrown down your throat in social media all the time, but try to get to that place of neutrality rather than the focus on positivity because neutrality is the healthier place to be. Um, as always, if you have a question, you want an email discussed or answered, then email in at one time podcast at yahoo.com and I will see you soon.